Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is an escaped bartender who traded in crafting cocktails for crafting her own tales. She is a doctoral candidate in the fine arts at the University of Glasgow. Her work has been published in From Glasgow to Saturn, Honey and Lime Lit, and Skirting Around Magazine. Her debut novel, You Know Her, is out now. Please welcome Megan Jennett. Hey, Megan. How are you doing today? I'm good. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, of course. I'm so excited that we're able to talk and that you're going to read from your debut, You Know Her. Um, for readers who haven't discovered it yet, tell um, tell us a little bit about what your debut is about. Um, so I always tell people it's essentially a story of two women. And they both live in a small town in Virginia, um, which is, I grew up in small town, Virginia, so, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I guess, um, but one of them is a bartender and her name is Sophie. And then there's Nora, who's the new kid in town. Um, and she is a cop and she's trying to work her way up to the detective desk. That's really where she wants to be. Um, and they sort of circle around each other. Sophie it's not a spoiler because it happens in like the first chapter. Sophie starts killing men. Um, she kind of snaps one night and their patience is gone. So she's kind of on the street of her and Nora is tracking her. So they circle around each other because they're two women who also understand what it feels like to exist in a very male dominated patriarchal world. Um, and so it kind of sees where that friendship goes. basically. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't wait to ask questions about it, but uh, what will you, what part of the book will you be reading for us today? I'm going to read actually, so it's a, most of a chapter where it's about a third of the way through the book, but um, it's just Sophie. Sophie's grandmother was a massage therapist and Sophie learned a lot about human kind of the way human bodies work and how they're vulnerable through her grandmother. So I'm going to read a little bit of that memory of her grandma teaching her that stuff. Take it away. Okay. Um, yep. Let me find it. It's a good question. All right. So this is from, it's the chapter called An Anatomist. And I'm going to start about halfway through. You could kill a man, my grandmother said to me one long September afternoon. We were sitting out on her front porch watching the apples grow. They were still hard green globes, too young and bitter to eat. With another month, cooler nights, they'd swell and bloom, a hearty crimson or dusky blush, perhaps a soft butter yellow. My shoulders were bare and my grandmother's hands were wrapped around them, slowly working through the knots already bound under my teenage flesh. What? A bee landed on the butterfly bush planted at the bottom of the porch steps. Heavy and clumsy, it clung to the thin stalk of flower that bobbed under its weight. Pay attention, child. This is important. Her hands contracted, kneading my muscles like bread dough. I felt something like relief drip down my neck. You should know this. All you young girls should run around the way y'all do. Turn around, Sophie. Look. I did, and she she took my arm in her hands, twisted it. Look at how you fold, she said, pressing into the crook of my elbow, forcing my arm to collapse, each half closing in on itself. Have you ever wondered why you're put together this way? I couldn't say that I had. Somewhere in middle school, my body had become a foreign thing to me, Always too much and never enough. In those years, I was acutely aware of it, the space it took up in the world, the uncomfortable currency it was beginning to hold. But I never liked to think of it. 
If I made my body a living, breathing thing, I'd have to feel guilty for hating it. She pinched the inside of my elbow hard, and I winced. That's why. Your body covers what it needs to protect. Nerves, vessels, the guts that keep you alive. Now, if you were to hit a man hard enough here, she reached down to tap the back of my knee, or stab him here, she lifted my arm to press sharp fingers into my armpit. You'd hurt him pretty bad. Kill him, even if you got him just right. And if you really want to do some damage, slam him here. With one quick motion, she pressed fingers up under my jaw. I gasped in shock, but I didn't pull away. Instead, I sat still as a rabbit in a trap, listening to the wild pounding of my heart. My grandmother had a way of making mortality feel so alive. Unperturbed, she continued. Hell, one good whack to the back of the skull can down a person if your aim's good enough. Feel. She pressed her fingers into my neck to the place where it met my skull. See that? Right here, there's a lip in the bone and your vertebrae scoot up under it. That space is what lets your head move. But God, in all his infinite wisdom, forgot to cover that tiny tip of your brain stem. It's hard to reach unless you know where to find it, but if a man's on top of you, you get your fingers up in here, baby, and shove. Never be afraid of being small, Sophie. That's your secret weapon. Men don't pay attention to small things. Use yourself however you're able. As the sun plunged into the winter ground and the trees fell dormant outside her house, my grandmother pulled me under the soft sweep of her wings and taught me how to understand a body. Start with your root, she taught me, the scaffolding of you, the delicate architecture of bone. I closed my eyes and watched the trails of her fingers light up somewhere in the murky dark of my mind. Here, the long bones, your thighs, your arms, they're dense to carry the weight of you, to hold a man or a child. Your fingers felt like raindrops as she touched down on my short bones. The pebbles of your wrists and ankles, she explained. They can get clumped together and must be worked apart to make space for your nerves and vessels. If someone grabs you, you take his wrist and squeeze as hard as you can. Find the nerves, show him pain. Here are your flat bones, she touched the crown of my head. They hold all of you in the puzzle of them. And last, her fingers trip down my back, your irregular bones. They form the spiked string of your spine, balance on the stirrup inside your ear. This is the hidden structure of you, not brittle, but alive, always rebuilding, protecting, carrying. She showed me my muscles. Here's how a body builds itself up from the powerful gluteal family, the quadriceps, adductors, pectorals, abdominals, the rolling bellies of the gastrocnemius and biceps. Here are your erectors, ropes of tissue that pull you upright, binding themselves to the backs of ribs, to shoulders, to the serrated processes of vertebrae, your fingers, your toes, the twitching anatomy of your face. This is you. This is how you move, how you breathe. Here, binding the puzzle pieces together, these are tendons and ligaments. Here's how they twist into hard cables, how they stretch apart into all the webbed connective tissue of your muscles, tying you together in tight, glittering white. Under her tutelage, I learned how a body clicked into place and how it could be pulled apart. If I was a boy, perhaps my grandfather would have taught me about the shining machinery of cars, but my grandmother knew a different sort of guts and she brought my hands to them. She taught me how to melt a knot with patience and persistence, how to read the stories printed under flesh to sit still and listen, to feel the thrum of my own small strength, and always underneath the warning, the lesson. This is how you damage someone if you need to. A body is an open book, baby, if you only know how to turn the page. I, I want to first open up with the idea of place. You mentioned you're from Virginia. The book takes place in Virginia, but I know you're living and studying in Scotland. Did you write this book while in Scotland or here in the States? Uh, both. Um, so yeah, so I started writing the book after the 2016 election. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was living actually in Brooklyn at the time and um, then moved back to Virginia very shortly after I started it and kept writing. I think I finished the first draft in Virginia and then I moved to Scotland to do my master's degree and that's where I finished the second draft and then was back to Virginia for a year and that's kind of where I, I polished it up and edited it there. Mm-hmm. Got it. So because like what I really loved about the book, one of the many things was the idea of like, I felt like I was in this small town in Virginia. I think mm-hmm. you did a really and that makes sense. Like from there, you wrote most of it, at least a draft there. Um, now I want to ask, you started this after the 2016 election, we all know what was going on <laughs> in the world. At that point, uh, you have someone who kills men because of the bullshit of the patriarchy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess just talk about that time and what you were trying to capture with the first drafts of this. Right. Um, yeah, so I think I got the idea, really the first sort of seed of an idea, and then Sophie kind of came out of another conversation, but I was reading Stephen King's On Writing, mm-hmm. and um, in the back, he's got a little challenge of, like, here he sets up a short story for you and then says, like, take it and go, and it's something about, like, a woman and her husband watching TV at night, and then I forget exactly what the details were, but he said, you know, then you're supposed to take that idea and run with it, and Trump hadn't been elected yet, but it was just all in the air. And I had, I was a little bit worried because I grew up in small town, Virginia. I was like, oh no, like people don't know what they're messing with here. Um, So I actually wrote a short story about women being imprisoned by men. And so that kind of fear and, and I have a lot of grief, just I've had a lot of friends that have either been in really, unfortunately, dangerous situations with partners. Um, Hmm. Or have kind of, I don't know, there's been a lot of really tragic murders in the air. So I was just sort of steeped in the violence of men for really most of my life. And so I just took all of that emotion around the election and threw it into this book. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Did you... I think there's at least hmm, I'm going to not ask that question because I don't like where it was going to go. Um, that'll be edited out um, <laughs> with like thrillers specifically with like your book is, you know, Bill does a thriller. It's obviously touching on a lot of serious topics, but something that I focus on when reading like the genre is pace and the idea of like keeping the reader hooked while also having room to breathe for what like topics you're tackling. Um how did you manage like both? Because I feel like you tackle some like serious topics that aren't necessarily seen in traditional thrillers, but you also, it, it is very readable for people who love traditional thrillers. Hmm. Um. Well, I guess I just, I don't know. I just wrote the books that I wanted to read. Yeah. I, um, I'm sort of in Glasgow, especially I'm, I'm, very much a part of the poetry community there mm. um and i'm i really consider myself a poet but i do have a lot of fun at open mics <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so i sort of took that everything that i've learned from poets about how to create these little worlds and put them together and poetry poetry is such a great vehicle for exploring really deep complex topics in a very short amount of words um tight tight words so i guess i just took what i learned from them um and i have I do read thrillers. I can't say that I've ever been the biggest reader of thrillers. So maybe it was that distance from the mm-hmm. genre that allowed me to sort of play in my own direction with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think 
Yeah, that makes sense too, because as someone, I don't read a lot of thrillers per se, but whenever I do, I feel like the ones that bubble to the top of my reading list are always the ones that are doing something a little different. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially the ones I talk to on Day Beautiful uh, that are billed as thrillers. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I like they say what you say. I don't really read, I haven't read a lot of thrillers. It's just, I wrote what I wrote, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> when did you realize then, like, the book you were writing was like a murder mystery thriller? Like, obviously, in the first chapter, ha what happens happens, but like, when did you realize right. it's like gonna go the way it goes? Right. Um, yeah. Well, I think what happened was when I first started writing it, I thought I was only gonna be in Sophie's head, mm. uh, sort of like American Psycho style. Um, and then I realized maybe two months into writing it that that would I was getting exhausted I couldn't like do that to a reader um and so I decided and Nora at that point Nora kind of like walked into the room and sat down and she didn't have she's Nora is a very quiet person in general but um yeah she just sat in the room and just sort of started watching what was going on um so I decided to, maybe I needed I needed to pull in another voice and something that was a little bit quieter and a little bit calmer um, to be a foil really for and just to let myself and the readers just take a breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As time went on, did you find one of their voices easier to get into? Thanks. I mean, Sophie's just always bent like she's just been jabbering in my ear from day one. She won't shut up. <laughs> Um, and Nora is just, she's, I think Nora is probably out of the two of them more, I have a friend that's very similar to her, who I've known since like second grade. So mm -hmm. she's a very familiar person, but she's the same, very, very quiet, takes everything in, is always thinking about things, doesn't speak a whole heck of a lot unless she really feels comfortable or that she has something she has to say. Um, so I actually had to sit down, I interviewed Nora on a piece of paper and I started with like what's your favorite color what's your ice cream but you know whatever I could get out of her just to sort of build that character in my own head and that's how she started speaking to me but she's she's always just been a much quieter voice um very present in my mind but just quieter voice I guess Thank you so much to Megan for joining the Day Beautiful podcast today. You can find her on the internet at MeganJeanette.com. Her debut novel, You Know Her, is out now. You can get it anywhere you get your books. You can find Day Beautiful on the internet at DayBeautiful.net, on all social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.